0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by m Bill Werner, Brent Palm, and Mike Graham. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the U of M will now offer an undergraduate degree in public health. A look back at some of the top stories of the year. The U of M has a new volleyball coach, but first... For some reason, the holidays seem to bring on thoughts of trains for a lot of folks. Toy trains under the Christmas tree have always been popular, and scale model trains have even had somewhat of a resurgence in recent years. Well, m and Bill Werner is among the group that's had the train bug for a long time. You know what,
1: Tasha? Around this time of the year, I start thinking that maybe I should have kept those American flyer trains that my dad bought for us all those years ago even though I don't have the space for them or the time to set up a layout. But I do have to confess, I have a few N-scale models of passenger cars and diesel locomotives, and even a steam engine and a snow plow parked on a couple lengths of track on the shelf of my workbench and on top of the clothes dryer, which is a front loader, by the way, because the trains aren't wet. This is all in the realm of Christmas fantasy. But there are real, live efforts to bring back passenger train service to a much larger area of Minnesota and to reestablish strong rail uh, ties to the rest of the country. I talked with Brian Nelson with the nonprofit advocacy group All Aboard Minnesota about that. Some of the largest amount of attention is the Minneapolis to Chicago run. Uh, Actually, I guess uh, Minneapolis-Milwaukee-Chicago, right? Right. Uh, And and, and we have Amtrak service uh, there, uh, but the the push is to provide, is it an additional daily run?
2: Correct, yes. It would originate at St. Paul Union Depot and uh, continue on the existing Amtrak route in Minnesota and Wisconsin, primarily through Red Wing, Winona, Toma, Columbus, on to Milwaukee, and then to Chicago. So it's on the existing Amtrak route and it would provide an additional daily service.
1: The justification for this is what?
2: Is passenger demand. The Empire Builder service is, from our understanding, basically fully booked almost every day in that corridor and beyond, in some instances. MnDOT, WISDOT, and Amtrak studied the feasibility of the service and found that there could be in a range of Approximately one hundred and twenty five to one hundred and fifty five thousand new riders per year that would use that service.
1: And how does it look on both sides of the St. Croix River on Minnesota? what what is the attitude toward it? And what about in Wisconsin as far as the government officials there?
2: Well, it's our understanding that all are very favorable. Um, the Minnesota House and the governor's office have been very supportive of passenger rail. With Democrats taking control of the Senate, the new Senate Transportation Committee chair is Scott Dibble, who has always been very supportive of passenger rail. So we believe that the environment is more favorable than ever for um, not only the second train, but expansion of other corridors in the state. On the Wisconsin side, uh, Governor Evers has been very supportive of passenger rail. And it's our understanding that Wisconsin is looking at expansion of passenger rail as well.
1: And what kind of timeline are we looking at here, roughly, do you think? Do you have it actually um, operational?
2: service could begin as early as 2023. Canadian Pacific has gone on record, and they have stated that they will allow the new train to begin service before the infrastructure construction projects are completed.
1: Understand. Let's move on to some other projects that have gotten a lot of publicity over the years. The, yeah. um, the Minneapolis to Duluth and Northern Lights Express. Where is that at?
2: So where that's at, Bill, that's 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 a good question. All of the design plans, studies, environmental impact studies are all complete and so what's needed are funds to upgrade the railroad to higher speed running, mainly ninety five to one hundred and ten mile an hour running. Eighty million dollars was placed in the transportation committee bill last year. In order to apply for federal matching grants to get that construction money. Now, the bill did not pass, and so that bill needs to be reauthored for the
1: Transportation Committee this year.
2: This year is a budget year. And so a transportation bill has to be passed.
1: And not only that, you've got a different composition of the uh, Minnesota legislature because you have the trifecta over there. So we'll, we'll correct. see what happens. That is very
2: correct, yes.
1: Now, let's talk about a couple of other projects, if we may, uh, just briefly. Sure. One of them is uh, increased service between um, the Twin Cities and Fargo-Moorhead, uh, and that would be via, uh, what, the um, uh, Empire Builder?
2: Yes, yes. So there, there is a tremendous amount of interest and support along those lines in cities like Fargo-Moorhead, Little Falls, Brainerd, Wadena, that would be very excited to have corridor service on that route in, in on a daytime schedule, because the Empire Builder serves that region of the state in the wee hours of the morning, both uh, westbound and eastbound. And so having a daytime corridor service on that route would build out that corridor very, very nicely, and it would operate on the existing Empire Builder route through St. Cloud, and it would serve the existing communities and maybe even a couple more as a corridor train.
1: Let's talk about another uh, corridor that comes up periodically, and that is a connection, because you can't get, uh, if I understand it correctly, you can't get directly from Minneapolis to Des Moines or Kansas City by train you got to go what through Chicago
2: that is correct and okay. so that corridor would extend down from uh, St. Paul Union Depot through Northfield Faribault Owatonna Albert Lee to Des Moines and then on to Kansas City and that service would connect us directly to the California Zephyr which serves San Francisco and points west obviously Denver, etc., and also to the Southwest Chief in Kansas City, which services, um, you know, the Southwest through Phoenix and Los Angeles. And that passenger rail service did exist just before Amtrak, and it was a very popular train, as we understand it, and loaded well to its last days. That is a corridor of definite interest, and Missouri DOT and MinDOT are both interested very much in restoring that route.
1: I can't help but make an observation that we're kind of trying to restore what we lost over 50 years ago.
2: That is absolutely correct, because, you know, there there were daytime corridor trains, Twin Cities to Fargo. There were three or four that existed right up until Amtrak, in addition to the long-haul Western trains, the Empire Builder, North Coast Limited... You know, there was service from the Twin Cities to Kansas City. There were seven trains Twin Cities to Chicago. Uh, yes, yeah, so you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. We are trying to restore what we had 50 years ago. Well,
1: certainly a lot has changed in transportation in those intervening 50 years. And, you know, nostalgia is a fine thing, but ultimately economics has to drive this, right? So what, what is motivating the return to the trains, do you think?
2: Well, I think I think there's several things. So, we, you know, over over that period of time, especially in later years, we've seen a reduction in bus service to a lot of, uh, you know, urban to out state communities. We've seen a reduction in air service, increased congestion on freeways and highways, and you know, I think it, when people discover traveling by rail, they they discover much more generous luggage allowances greater room, much more comfort. Um, there's much less hassle than getting through an airport. A lot of times trains are competitive with, with drive times. And so, you know, I think people just look to the comfort and convenience of train travel. And, you know, it's much less costly than taking a plane. Uh, even in some cases, it's less costly than driving. So when you combine all of those factors, I think people, when, when they discover train travel, like wow this is a really nice easy way to travel and it's fairly low cost and it gets me to where i want to go and um it's just much less hassle than than other modes of transportation
1: that is brian nelson with all aboard minnesota tasha i still remember a number of years ago when denise and i were hiking around in the woods just south of red wing at dusk when the empire builder whooshed by bound for st paul I happen to have my recorder in my pocket, and the later playback has revealed me sounding like a kid, saying, look, there's the train. So I'll do it, and then you all give it a try.
0: All aboard! Only you, Bill. Only you. Love it. And no, I'm not going to try to top that. All aboard. More Minnesota Matters right after this.
1: Change a light bulb? Save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency.
0: Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. The University of Minnesota will offer an undergraduate degree in public health for the first time this fall. U of M Associate Professor Ruby Wynn joins MNN's Brent Palm to talk about the new major program aimed at addressing a workforce shortage.
3: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, and joining me on this week's show is University of Minnesota Associate Professor and Director of Undergraduate Studies, Ruby Wynn. Ruby, uh, some big news out of the U of M this week about a new major in public health. Tell us a little bit about what you know about it.
4: Hey Brent, it is a good day to be a gopher. We have um, been developing for a few years now an undergraduate degree, which will be our first Uh, University of Minnesota School of Public Health undergraduate degree in public health. It will be a bachelor's of arts degree um, that will accept students in their last two years of school. So it it is what we call junior admitting. And it will address the current and critical needs that we have in uh, a public health workforce that is going to experience severe shortages. So we really are anticipating that we are going to um, fill these positions that our state critically needs in order to keep our communities healthy.
3: We sure have talked a lot about public health over the last uh, couple, three years. And I'm reading here a release from the U of M says at least 80,000 new employees are needed to meet our nation's most basic public health needs. So it sounds like there is a demand for this degree and this program.
4: That 80,000, that's exactly right. 50,000 of those positions are really in what we call local public health, which is state and county level public health departments, as well as the state health department. But these 50 to 80,000 jobs that need to be filled in the short term are actually just to keep our existing public health machinery going. So when we think about, for example, the WIC program, the Women, Infants and Children program that offers nutritional supplements to mothers in need, or if we think about vaccinations aside from COVID, let's think about, you know, routine childhood vaccinations that are required for uh, school attendance. Or if we think about surveillance systems that keep track of not only infectious diseases, but things like fatal car crashes or deaths due to Uh, overdose, including overdoses due to opioid use, those are all public health jobs and oftentimes at the city, county, and state level. And so what we're doing is really finding a pathway into jobs like that in order to backfill what we're losing. And and people may be wondering, like, why why are we losing so many of these jobs? Well, there, there are lots of reasons. It could be because More than half of our local public health professionals are over the age of 45. And and by the way, that that includes me as well. And almost a quarter of these health department staff are eligible for retirement. So we are an older group of folks. And then lastly, of course, COVID has been hard on all of us, all of us, including people working in public health. So COVID itself might hasten these retirements and changes in career paths.
3: Hey, let me ask you this. So you mentioned that it's a junior admitting program. So is mm-hmm. the thinking there that this student at the University of Minnesota is already maybe leaning toward health care or leaning toward public health? Or how will these students decide that this is for them?
4: That's a great point. So they'll be required to take our introductory our basic um, what is public health course so they'll they'll get a better idea and you know I think the students because I teach a lot in in our undergraduate program the program that we have right now for example we have a minor um, in public health which we run with the College of Liberal Arts and it is the second largest minor on the Twin Cities campus as you know, which is huge, and and it's only been in existence for 10 years. So we know that there's a lot of interest, and one of those courses is a simple introduction into all the things that public health practitioners do. And so these sophomores who will be applying to our program in order to join as a junior will have taken that class, so they have an idea. And what the first two years um, in school will allow people to do is get a better understanding of all of those other aspects of college and life. And then in their last two years with us in the, in the major, they'll focus on um, public health itself. They will be bringing in you know, all of their background and whatever that might be. It might be political science classes. It might be Spanish classes. But they're bringing all of that into the last two years, which will be focused primarily on the discipline of, of public health.
3: I see that uh, applications for the fall 2023 inaugural class are being accepted through February 15th. So not a lot of time. Um, if I'm one of these students who's interested, where do I go? Who do I talk to? Where can I find that info?
4: That's great. That's a great question. And we have a website that's set up um, that that is devoted just to those students who are interested in applying. And you're right. So this is a very quick turnaround simply because we wanted to do the best job possible in designing the major. Um, We did. And as you know, the university runs only after the region's approval. And we just happened to fall on the docket for December. And that's why um, this this is a little bit rushed. Let me just be clear. This first year is only for University of Minnesota students. However, in future years, Uh, we will accept applications from other schools. We've already been contacted by multiple community colleges, two-year colleges, that would like to find pathways for their students interested in public health into our junior admitting program. And the reason that's important is the community colleges have such a wide and diverse catchment of people. Um, And when we think about the types of jobs and where these jobs are Are needed to be filled in the state of Minnesota, man, we're looking across the entire state. We're looking from Laverne to Deerwood to Crookston. We need people all over. And the community colleges are a great way to find those diverse students and get them to the university for their BA in public health. We have a website. You can find this through, students can find this through the School of Public Health website. It's under um, Prospective Application Process for Transfer Students.
3: Professor Wynn, maybe we'll touch base with you again and see how this is developed. Maybe how many prospective students have signed up. We definitely like to take uh, touch base with you again next year.
4: Happy to do that, Brent. Stay warm and safe in the snow.
0: Time for a quick break. More Minnesota matters right after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Tasha Radel. Earlier this week, the University of Minnesota officially introduced its new volleyball coach. Keegan Cook comes to the Golden Gophers after eight highly successful seasons at the University of Washington. Cook was 198-56 as a head coach and won four PAC-12 titles in eight years with the Huskies. He made the NCAA tournament every year and was in the Elite Eight four times and the Final Four once with Washington. Cook takes over for outgoing Hugh McCutcheon, who is transitioning into a role with the Gopher Athletic Department. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm interviewed Cook minutes after he was introduced at Maturi Pavilion on campus and the coach says this has been a whirlwind.
5: The fastest week of my life maybe is how I would describe it. Um, uh, surreal, uh, but maybe the overriding feeling is just, it feels right. and uh, yeah.
6: what, what, what makes it feel right? You were very successful at Washington, Pac-12 titles, final four berths, you had things rolling there. What, uh, what makes Minnesota the spot for you now?
5: It, it's not any one thing, you know, but I think it starts with um, just the players that I've gotten to spend time with, um, their potential, their aspirations. Uh, the community, you know, it's just been unbelievable to see the level of support that this program's had, and then, then the history, both with the coaches and, uh, and with the performance of the program. Those things uh, make it easy to get up every day and get to work.
6: We are, of course, taping this in the uh, Maturi Pavilion, which uh, for most nights for Gopher Volleyball is full. Um, what, uh, what can you say about uh, bringing your team out um, here as the Gopher head coach into a place that you know is gonna be full most nights? Um, you mentioned that community support, um, kind of a cool old building. I know you coach in a cool old building too at Washington, but yeah. um, here you are with, the, with this kind of fan support. Was that was that one of the one of the factors?
5: Yeah, I think fourth in national attendance this year, and uh, sometimes you're watching film and you feel like you can feel the intensity through, through the film screen when I've watched, but I, I think about that first night, you know, the first match here is going to be a special moment uh, to, to join this
6: community and get to work, so I think about that a lot. What will be your next few things that are on the docket for you to do now here in the short term? Obviously, long term, um, we can talk about NCAA tournaments and, and the ultimate goal, but in the short term, what are things that, that you'd need to get accomplished here in the next few weeks, do you yeah. think? People's, people values volleyball is the order in which I kind of approach things. So
5: spending time with our current team, building some trust and some communication, finding an outstanding staff to join us, uh, and then season, spring season starts, I think, January 17th. So uh, there's
6: time for it all, but definitely in that order your coaching philosophy you hit on up there maybe a little bit with with those three pillars what uh, what what type of a coach are you in terms of not strategically not in terms of where you're lining your athletes up on the court but just stylistically how you handle your team how you might you know handle matches and those kind of things
5: yeah <clears throat> maybe the, the the grounding words for me are sincerity i think the athletes hopefully will feel sincerity and intentionality but then growth you know that's something that we, I've been known for and our programs that I've been a part of have been known for is Players come in here with their talent and their skills. They leave here uh, with a tremendous amount of growth.
6: And then on the court, what kind of uh, uh, situation do we look for there?
5: Yeah, certainly uh, I'm not starting from ground zero here. Yeah. So uh, looking to build on 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 the talent and success of this team, but hopefully add my own uh, my own style in terms of
6: serving, in terms of blocking, uh, and some offensive uh, creativity as well. You mentioned earlier today that um, that taking over a program after Mike Hubert Hebert and um, Hugh McCutcheon had, had done so many wonderful things that it motivates you. You feel um, not pressure, but maybe responsibility. Take me through your thoughts there in terms of taking over a program that, that has hit some good heights, still heights to hit though too. Yeah, <clears throat> again, you start to learn as
5: a coach, just uh, you know yourself as time goes on, you know what motivates you, you know what aligns with you and responsibility is just something that i've that i've sought after and found maybe i didn't know it at the time that it was important to me but um we're all trying to become the highest level of of our of ourselves and um who i'm following here at the university of
6: minnesota uh, Again, motivates me to to chase that. California native went to St. Mary's, played club volleyball there. Yep. Um, then on to Washington, and now to the Midwest. Um, how much of a change will that be for you? Uh, I mean, it's only supposed to be fifty to below zero here this week, right?
5: Yeah. Really important <laughs> coach to me said it's not where you are, it's who you are, and um, and I think about that often when I find myself in strange spaces around the world coaching volleyball, but uh everything about this place feels like a great place to be home
6: for my family and you've had some international experience too what what have you taken from that that can help you as a college coach
5: yeah i think the places that our players want to go uh within the usa volleyball program within professional career i've been in those spaces i've seen what it takes Uh, i have an equal amount of passion for those spaces and uh and so yeah, i think that's another big reason why i'm here is, is to help our players continue that journey
6: tell us a little bit about you uh your wife and your young one
5: yeah wife sarah cook uh volleyball brought her to me uh she's part of a volleyball royalty in colorado i'd say uh, i'm always required to let everyone know that she's the best competitor in our family as you may have heard me say uh that was a, a wedding vow that i have to continue to uphold but uh our son, you know, when, when you have a son or you have a son or daughter, it changes everything. And uh, and certainly Oliver has has changed the way I look at my career and my vocation and, and was a big reason why
6: I'm here now. And then as you look forward from that, uh, what are some things when you're not coaching volleyball that uh, you and Sarah and Oliver like to do? Yeah, we, we shared passion for skiing, which I think
5: is good. Uh, we have to work a little harder to find uh, are kind of skiing, but that's okay, we'll have the snow. Uh, we're, we're avid uh, card players, we like to compete. I always tell her I'm a skill-based competitor, not an athleticism-based competitor. So, uh, And then we, we love to cook, and we love to, to share time with, with people. And so that's enough hobbies for a coach, I think,
6: to kind of get you through the winter. Very good. Well, welcome to Minneapolis. Welcome to Maturi Pavilion. You're the new Golden Gopher Head Volleyball Coach. Thanks. Go Gophers.
0: Thanks, Grimmer. More Minnesota Matters right after this.
7: You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example, they've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. Every year, the MNN team puts together year-end segments highlighting some of the top stories of the year. Leading off our series is Bill Werner. Analysts said Republicans could flip Minnesota red in the 2022 midterm elections, but it didn't happen. The Minnesota House and a National
1: Target, 2nd District U.S. House seat, both within reach. And for Governor, Scott Jensen had a big issue against Tim Walls.
6: This has got to stop, folks. There was a teenage boy killed last night right by the light rail downtown just before the Twins game started.
1: But then the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and Democrats had their issue.
7: They are coming for equality. Yes. They are coming for all of our rights. Yes.
1: In Minnesota,
6: it's a protected constitutional right, and no governor can change that, and I'm not running to do that.
4: We have got to close strong.
1: Election day, Democrats barely held on to Attorney General, and they kept the second district.
4: They have spent a whole lot of money trying to take this seat, but they are not going to do it tonight.
1: Dems held the Minnesota House, they took a bare majority in the Senate, and for governor...
7: We didn't have a red wave, it was a blue wave. (laughs) We've chosen to trust women, we've chosen to invest in our children.
1: Part of our year that was...
0: In February, Kimberly Potter was sentenced to two years in prison after mistakenly firing her gun instead of her taser, killing Dante Wright during a traffic stop. Ahead of sentencing, Potter addressed the Wright family.
4: I pray for Dante and all of you many, many times a day. He is not... More than one thought away from my heart.
0: Judge Regina Chu said she knows many will not be happy with the sentence. That I granted a significant downward departure does not in any way diminish Dante Wright's life. Hamlin University legal analyst David Schultz says the short sentence Potter received is quite a surprise because of the current political environment.
2: I just wonder um, among, let's say, um communities of color, among people who are concerned about police reform, if they're going to view this as perhaps no more than a slap on their wrist.
0: Dante Wright's mother Katie said of Potter.
4: Eventually her sentence will be fulfilled and she will have her whole family to be with her at dinners and holidays. Again, another thing that has been stolen from me.
0: And that's part of our year that was. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station. Same time, same place. Have a great week and stay warm.